0: Thank you so much and thank you Ricky and Chapel trustees for the opportunity to be back here at Garden City Chapel and such fond memories. I graduated from Clinton High School in Clinton, South Carolina uh, on one day and the next day left to come down to work here at the Chapel and for four different summers. Summer of 74, 75, and 76. I skipped over 77 and came back in 1978 and Actually started in January. I finished Charleston Southern in December and had the privilege of uh, living there with Mr. Norton for uh, until the season started. And what a great experience! What a great mentor, um, Mr. Norton. I always called him Mr. Norton. Some of you called him Hal and Reverend Norton, and some called him Uncle Hal. But just a great experience of uh, having uh, that. Seeing him minister and in, in this place and it brings back a lo- uh, a lot of emotions and so thankful to be here today. Good to see some folks I work with like Chuck Rogers and William Shelley. I don't know if anybody else snuck in or not, but uh, those are some great days, great experiences. Seeing you take up the offering, you, know, you see everything when you work here on staff. Some things you don't want to see, and some things you. You know uh, that you enjoy dealing with uh, some things we didn't enjoy dealing with back in the day like p- painting Quaker brown paint and uh, unstopping toilets back before they were even on the sewer system and they were septic tanks. and uh, that made for some fun times, especially when it rained because the plumbing just wouldn't work when it rained. So be thankful group, that we're under, under the county sewer system now and you don't have to deal with that. But uh, those, were some, those were some fun times. Um, I, I recall uh, one great experience. There was a young uh, a fella, He was an adult. He was a special needs adult that came every year with his family during the winter. His name was Bill. And uh, Bill considered himself part of the staff. He, he called Mr. Norton, Father Norton. And uh, he always asked me, he's, he's passed away, he had always asked me if, if he was still my associate pastor, and I confirmed always that he was, but one Easter, uh, we would let him help us take up the offering. And it was a Easter worship, and uh, at that time there were pews and there were little short rows over here where these folks were sitting, and so that was Bill's department over here, and you would pass the plate and it would go to the end and they would pass it back and come back, and Bill... Uh, passed it down a row, they passed it back, and he stopped and looked at the plate, and he went back to the front row and passed it again, and like, uh, that wasn't good enough, but anyway, uh, so it was some fun times, we we certainly enjoyed it, and the first year of our staff uh, that I worked here, there were only like three of us on staff, didn't have all these buildings, uh, the n- next years, there were four of us, and when I came back in 78, there were 10, I believe, of us, 10 or 11 of us, and uh, they had the sea shack uh, and all of that and new dormitories, so it kept us busy, but it's good to be back uh, here in this place. It holds such special memories for me, and uh, I'm so thankful for the way God used my time here uh, on staff, and I know the current staff, uh, thank you for the work you do. I know a lot of them aren't here, uh, but I hope you're finding it rewarding as well. Our scripture today comes from Mark chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. And it's a story that is one of my favorite stories in the New Testament as uh, Jesus performs uh, this great miracle. So reading from Mark 2, 1 through 12. When he had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home and finally and many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their face, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak that way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet and go home. And he got up immediately, picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God saying, we have never seen anything like this would you pray with me father just ask in these moments that lord truly you would just take this passage of scripture and god just reveal to us make clear to us god those truths that we could take and not just learn and not just hear but that we can live day by day in christ's name we pray amen was a few years ago uh it was snowy weather church was canceled and we were actually visiting our youngest daughter up in northern Virginia. And so since we didn't have service that day, I got up early and I got on the computer and I watched the previous week's service from her church. The Fairfax, at that time was Fairfax Community Church in Fairfax, Virginia. And so as I watched that, the pastor uh, of the church, God Stanford, was preaching a message from this passage we read today. And he kept saying throughout the message something about finding your corner of the mat. At first, when I when I heard it, I thought he said finding your corner of the map, and then I realized he was saying finding your corner of the mat. And I realized and I realized you know what he's referring to that each friend who carried uh, this pallet with this paralytic on it, each one had grabbed and carried their corner of that pallet or of that mat or whatever that might have been. And so the question for us today that I want us to think about and meditate on is what is your corner and what is my corner of the mat? And why is it important to know and carry my corner of the mat, and your corner of the mat. And what does that look like for us to take our corner of the mat as we think about our relationship with Christ, but also our relationship With others. Following Christ is about demonstrating His love. It's it's about demonstrating His kindness and His goodness in our life. And, And when we think about that, finding our corner of the mat is sort of like this it's finding those things I can say, the things I can do to help others see and know and experience the love of Jesus Christ. And when we see in this story today, I think there's some things that we can observe about these who carried their, this man, who I believe was their friend, they're more than an acquaintance, to the very feet of Jesus. So as we, the first observation we make about this is the initiative that they took to get this paralytic to Jesus. They had to have some initiative. They had to have a purpose, something that guided them as they took this. Paralytic to Jesus you know as I thought about that I said I wonder I wonder what happened prior to that did they have some moment of inspiration did they maybe did one of them come up with the idea said hey you know I hear Jesus is in town and uh, he does wonderful miracles wonder if we could take our, our friend uh, there to Jesus that he might be able to be healed I, I don't know what in Impelled in what caused them to, uh, gave them that impulse to get them to Jesus, to take this initiative to get this man to Jesus. But whatever it was, they went to his house and uh, somehow convinced him. That'd been interesting to hear that conversation, wouldn't it? Of them having a conversation with that paralytic about what their plan was and how they wanted to take him to Jesus. But whatever it was, it was probably similar to the same creative thought they had to go up on the roof of that house and tear a hole in it to lower that man down before Jesus. Whatever the case is, the point is, they saw the need. They saw a person that had some brokenness in their life, in this case a physical brokenness, and even we can say a spiritual brokenness, and took some initiative to do something about it to go and make the effort to take this man to Jesus. When we think of finding our corner of the mat, taking our corner of the mat, the same is true. It's important not that we just see the needs around us, not just see the brokenness or the hurt or whatever it might be around us, but it, but to take some initiative to use our time, to use our talents, to use the gifts God has given us to reach out and to minister in his name. But there's something else, some other observation too about this is that, let's think about the inconvenience that they went through. It wasn't convenient to take a man who couldn't walk himself, it took some effort. Doing what these four did was not convenient, it took extra time. I don't know what the journey was and how long the journey was to, to Capernaum where Jesus was. We're not really told that. And whatever else they had planned that day was put on hold, if they had any plans. Who, who knows, maybe they, they took the day off from work. But whatever it was, they, they were inconvenienced to minister to this man, whatever else they had planned. I don't know who these four were. I don't know their occupations. We're not told anything about their families We're really not told anything about their relationship with this man, but I would like to think that they they knew him, and maybe more than that, that they were friends with him. They were willing to be inconvenienced to get this man to Jesus. Are we willing to be inconvenienced to take our corner of the mat? To reach out to someone who's broken and who's hurting, to someone who doesn't know Christ, to someone who has some great in their need and some great need in their life. Maybe it's just friendship. Maybe it's just encouragement. Are we willing to be inconvenienced? There are also a third observation, and that is the obstacles they ran into, and they let no obstacle stand in their way. I mean think about it. First of all there was the obstacle of having this man that couldn't walk, that couldn't help himself, that couldn't get himself there himself there. And it was not only not only that, but how are they going to get him there? He was to completely dependent on someone else carrying him, taking care of him. And then when they get to the house, They have the obstacle of a jam-packed house. Not only were they packed inside, but even standing outside the house. As people came to hear what this man Jesus had to say, and maybe even to seek their own miracle. And then there was the obstacle even of the critics that were there that we hear about later on in the story. The religious critics, the Pharisees, those who were very legalistic, who would have even considered the fact that they took the time to take this paralytic because it was a common thought that people's physical maladies oftentimes were linked to sin. And that surely this man has some great sin in his life, so he's unclean and not even worthy to be here. And yet they took the time. They they overcame that obstacle. Their goal, their vision, their mission was to get this man to Jesus. And even when they found the house packed, as the scripture says, it didn't stop them. So they went up on the rooftop. Many houses in that day, as as you read and study about it, they were sort of flat-roofed and had maybe a stairway that went outside the house up onto the rooftop. So that's probably what they did. And pulled away the mud or thatch or whatever it was that made up that roofing material. Got a hole in that roof and had to be a good-sized one because you're taking an adult man on a pallet and lowering him down in the midst of a crowd before Jesus. They did whatever it took to get that man to Jesus. They they did whatever it took to get him into the presence of Christ and the presence of the grace and the love and the compassion and healing of Christ. And nothing would deter them. How many times do we let obstacles get in our way? Of caring for someone else, of ministering to someone else, or sharing Christ with someone else. The obstacles of fear, or maybe critics, or other obstacles, or our own insecurities. These fellows let nothing stand in their way. And then we see their faith. Jesus even commends them for their faith. And, and there's some discussion when Jesus says, when he saw their faith, was he just referring to the four or to the four and the paralytic? I think he was referring to all of them. Because, I mean, think about it. The paralytic had to be willing to allow himself to be carried to Jesus. He He, he had to have some sense of trust or hope that, that Jesus could do something to better or to heal his situation. And so Jesus commends their faith that drove them to this extraordinary effort to get this man to Christ. This man's healing was both physical and spiritual. I mean, as I said, it was a common belief among the Jews that sickness and and, and sin were, could be linked together. And, and so that, as those religious critics were there, they're thinking, how can he forgive sins? And Jesus says, well, in order that you may know, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet and go home. The physical healing. Forgiveness and healing are sometimes interchangeable. If you read in the book of James Chapter chapter 5, verse 15 and 16, we read these words, And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he's committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And in Psalm 103, verse 3, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities and who heals all your diseases. It seemed to be always linked. But Jesus overcame that, and this man walked out of that house carrying that pallet that had carried him. And there's a fifth observation that's very important. And as we think about our lives as Christians, and especially in the life of the church, the body of Christ, we see their unity. It took all four. Now, you could argue and say, well, maybe three or maybe two could have carried him, maybe three. But I think it took all four, especially when we know the end of the story. Not just carrying him on a journey, but taking him up on a roof and then lowering him somehow before Christ. Christ. It took each one to take their corner of the mat. It had been a whole lot easier. It was a whole lot easier the fact that each one took their corner of the mat. They were able to be successful in getting this man to Christ. Not just carrying him, but lording through the rooftop. Down to where Christ was. And their faith and the faith of the paralytic brought healing. And the impact was that. Those who were seeing all this were amazed. And I love the last part of that verse. It says, They were glorifying God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Another translation says, We have seen remarkable things today. Wow, how great it would be if the world around us would look at your life and my life as Christians, as believers, and at our churches. And seeing us taking our corner of the mat and, and reaching into the brokenness around us to, to bring hope and healing through Christ and salvation through Christ and to hear we have seen remarkable things. We've never seen anything like this. Well, what does that have to do with us? What what is for you and for me to take with away for for us today? What does it mean for you and me to take our corner of the mat? What's the lesson for us? Well, it takes initiative on our part. We've already said that. It it, it will mean many times being inconvenienced. Jesus even said discipleship itself means that we die to self and take up our cross daily and follow him. It's costly. And there are always obstacles, and there are always going to be critics, and it does take us working together, unity, and it requires faith in the one who loved us and gave himself for us, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you know, there are some practical things I've seen and read and heard and experienced that sort of illustrate sort of what I'm saying that maybe can, can help us draw a little picture as we come to a close today. One of those just in recent weeks. Like me, I'm sure you've been saddened to read and hear about all that's happened in Maui with the fires and all the destruction and tragedy and lives that are lost. But it was interesting to, in watching the news one night, as I interviewed some who had evacuated tourists who evacuated to an airport, waiting to get out of there, and to get home, or to get to another location. And the man that they interviewed just said, talked about how wonderful people were that in the midst of the tragedy, that the locals, the locals in that area, in that region where he was, camping out at the airport, were bringing them meals, were inviting them to their home, to take a shower, to rest, offering themselves as they sought to minister to these tourists, in this case, who are going through such a tough time. In other words, they took their corner of the mat to minister in a meaningful way, as many are doing now on Maui and among those families that have lost homes and seeking to offer comfort for those who have lost family members. And then there was a a post that I received on Facebook from a classmate in high school who had experienced, uh, who who knew another classmate who had experienced a cerebral aneurysm and they were now in hospice. And so this friend of mine wrote and and messaged me and said, I'm worried about this person and and gave, gave his name. And she went on to say, I went to the hospital and prayed with him and went to know the Lord this morning. And I took a card where I had written how important it is to know the Lord and that Jesus was standing with his arms open wide to receive him into heaven. If he knows him as Savior and Lord, I don't know how much he understood. But she wanted me to pray and she was sharing that. She picked up her corner of the mat. And went and shared Christ, believing that if her friend could hear and understand, he could make things right. And then there there was another that sent me an email. And they were concerned for their father and his salvation. And said he'd been reading the Bible. He'd been reading religious books. He'd been even reading from other religions, books from other religions. And he was a very skeptical person. He wrote. She wrote. And then she said in her email, I guess he's preparing for the final, final. I hope he gets it right. But picking up her corner of the mat, she was asking for ways to share with him how to get it right. And the very story of this chapel is a story of taking a corner of the mat to provide ministry, not just to... Tourists who are here for worship, as many of you are, but ministry to countless number of children in children's homes who come here as guests of the chapel. And other young people like this group here today and adults who come with them, who come to seek to encounter Christ and be changed because of relationship with him. I mentioned Mr. Norton a while ago, and he's written a history of the chapel, the Garden City Chapel and Retreat, and he writes these words. The summers of 1961 and 1962 were two of the most important years in the Garden City Chapel's story. It required a very bold faith on the part of a few men to affect hundreds of thousands of lives. So we had debts and no extra money to spend. We had no members and no outside financial support, not even on the property but we should build this building. And One thing I learned about Mr. Norton, when God gave him a vision that we should do something, it was going to get done as he would pray and seek the Lord's leadership. The Holy Spirit worked, and in that 1961, that dorm that was for underprivileged children and to come as guests for a place to vacation at the beach, was open to the first children's home, the Free Will Baptist Children's Home from Turbyville. And now through the years, this same policy is still intact, where many come from many states as guests of the chapel from these homes. But not only that, then it began to open up for other groups, youth groups. I attended here from First Baptist Clinton before I was on staff. Some meaningful experiences, and I pray you've had that meaningful experience this week, this weekend as well. And over the years, many have walked on these grounds and been through these buildings, worshipped in this place and had conferences and times of prayer and where many have encountered and met Christ and had their life changed by Him. The ministry of the chapel has been and continues to be to take our corner of the mat and seek to make a difference, a life-changing experience with Jesus Christ. One of my favorite stories that Mr. Norton told, he told many stories. He he was full of stories of all the experiences through all the years. One night he was holding a devotion for a group in the little building next door. There was a little chapel over there. There was. And uh, there were spotlights all around the campus. And as he was closing out, uh, he had finished his devotion that they had asked him to do. And he was standing there. A person was standing at the front talking with him. The other young people had left. And he noticed, though, as this young person was talking with him, one of the youth, that he noticed a a shadow being cast on the wall. That person outside was pacing back and forth. And Mr. Norton thought, well, you know, I'm sure whoever that is out there, they're just anxious for their friend to finish here so that they can get on with their activities for the rest of the night. And so he finished that conversation, and that young person left. And that shadow, that person casting the shadow, didn't leave, but walked into the building where Mr. Norton was. And he came right to him, and Mr. Norton said, he looked at him in the eye, and and he said to Mr. Norton, what do you do? He says, I have a question for you. What do you do when nobody loves you? Mr. Norton said he thought for a few minutes, and he thought, you know, a lot of young people feel that way. And... He began to try to to, you know, to say something to that effect. Well, you know, a lot of kids feel that way, and I'm. Sh- but before he could finish, this young person interrupted him and said, "No, sir. My question is, what do you do when no one loves you? Nobody loves me." Mr. Norton said he thought for a few minutes and he thought about it. Was there a time during this time the group was here that I saw this young man that that might give me a clue and. He remembered sitting in his office that used to be back over here where the basketball courts are and looking out of the window and he remembered seeing that young boy. And he remembered as a group came out of of one of their meetings that he was the first one out. And he went ahead of the group and stopped and just stood there as the others came by. And Mr. Norton's words were, you know, as I thought about that and as you reflected on it, he said, I remember thinking, that young boy is like a hitchhiker waiting on someone to stop, to stop and care. Picking up our end of the mat is being those who will stop and who will care and who will love, even to the unlovely. Even to those that seem so different. Even to those that may be skeptical. Even if we're inconvenienced. Even if there are obstacles in the way. That we'll trust and be those who take our end of the mat. Our corner of the mat. That's what Jesus did for us. He took the corner of the mat. In fact, he took all of it when he died on the cross for your sins and mine. And gave his everything. He gave his all. That those who would believe in him. Trust in him. Could know Christ. And could know eternal life. And have a life of joy and peace and victory. Forever. Oh my question. As I close the day. Is who is it. In your neighborhood. Who is it in your youth group. In your church. In your community. That needs you needs me to take our corner of the mat, that we might demonstrate and carry them to the very feet of Christ to know His love, to know His grace, and to experience wholeness out of brokenness, that those around could say, wow, we've seen remarkable things today We've never seen anything like this as they see us respond in obedience and in love of Christ. Would you pray with